do our best. It's only an hour, Jeff. How Jordan Scruggs, Jordan. Uh, I'm gonna. There are five Longhorns in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Stephen Michael's gonna make it six. I I'll give you full credit if you can name one. Um, I'll give Der- you a hint. Derek Johnson's in there, huh? No, Derek Johnson's not in Pro Football Hall of Fame. I'll oh, give you. Oh wait, a hint. oh Pro Football, Pro Football. Okay, he has a statue football, on yeah. campus, and you can find his sausages in the in yeah. the uh, meat aisle at H E B. Yeah, Earl Campbell's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So you got Bobby Dylan, Earl Campbell. Okay, Jamal Charles is going to be in it. He's we'll not about, in it yet. We'll talk about that here in just a second because I want to pick your brain about some of this because we're, we're getting to the point now where there are going to be guys with Hall of Fame candidacies that you've actually seen play. Yeah. So you got Bobby Dylan. Okay, I Earl got Campbell. Wait, wait, wait. And that's two of six? Mm-hmm. Okay, I only know so many of the dudes that were dead before I was born. One of them their careers over before I was born. So I'm assuming Tommy Novus. Tommy Nobis is not, but he should be. Okay, okay. Another one, he's got he's got a number retired at the stadium, played back in the 40s. I know who it is, but I'm not going to remember his name right Bobby, now. You got Bobby Lane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Tech Schramm as an executive. And uh, Tom Landry. Mm. Wow, can't believe I didn't even think about that one. I didn't think about like the the non players, you know, like the front yeah. office guys. You got an executive um, and you got a coach, and you got Bobby Dylan, Bobby Lane, uh, Earl Campbell, and now Steve McMichael as uh, as players. So Steve McMichael going into the Hall of Fame. Do you have any recollection, any clue? If I say the name Steve McMichael, does anything register? Dog, no, if Steve McMichael walked into my apartment right now and was like pointing a gun at me, like you have to say who I am or you die, I'm dead. I don't yeah. even know who Steve McMichael is. I never heard of Steve McMichael. Until you got to remember, Jordan, folks, Jordan's 20, 20 years older than me. So I, I, bear, I remember the end of Steve McMichael. I know I have more knowledge, just firsthand knowledge, of Steve McMichael's career as a pro wrestler than I do his football career. The tail end of his football career is when I started watching football. But you learned about Steve McMichael. I was telling, I don't know if you heard me telling uh, Wags and Rodney this, I did some Steve McMichael research when he went to the College Football Hall of Fame uh, several years ago. I think it was about mm-hmm. 2014, 13-ish, probably about 10 years ago. Uh, he, when he was in high school, grew up in South Texas in Freer, down in the valley. There was a rattlesnake on the practice field. He went over there and killed it with his helmet. Took his helmet off and killed a rattlesnake and then just kind of went back to practice. Uh, he had pet rattlesnakes in his dorm at Texas. Uh, tried to take him to Boston when he got drafted with the Patriots and they died en route from Austin to Boston. Uh, just, he just do, he do stuff like that, man. Part of that crazy 85 bears defense, one of the best defenses in NFL history. So it's good to see him going into the hall of fame. But Jordan, I, I want to talk to you about, because again, we're, we're getting down to some longhorns that are going to have hall of fame candidacies, guys that you've actually seen play the, I think the Longhorn, as crazy as it sounds, that's most likely to go into the Hall of Fame next is probably going to be Justin Tucker. Because I think at this point, whenever he retires, five years after that, he's going to Canton. Yeah. I think he's, I think at this point, he's a first ballot because the Hall of Fame has been more accepting of kickers lately. I mean, for years, Jan Stenerud was the only one in there. And you've got Morton Anderson's in there now, Vinatieri's in there. Justin Tucker's got a Super Bowl. Probably, you know, depending on what's happened that week, the most accurate kicker in NFL history. Uh, Do to me, Justin Tucker is a Hall of Famer, no question. I think it's just a matter of is he in on the first ballot or is he going to have to wait? Yeah, yeah, he he's definitely getting in. Um, what what is the you have to be five years removed from your last? Yeah. When was the last time Jamal Charles played? Jamal, I think, retired in twenty. I want to say 2017. I'll double check. I think the team he was last with might have been the Jaguars. I don't know. Let's see. Jamal Charles. 2018. Yeah, because you're right. He was with the Jaguars in 2018. So he's coming up on it. Uh, Here's the thing with Jamal Charles. I, I think for there's two lifetime Longhorns, legendary Chiefs running backs. I both of them won't get in because they don't have like the postseason accolades or anything like that. And I think, and they're going to have to wait. 
But I really think one of Jamal Charles or Priest Holmes should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Like if you take a look at Priest Holmes, really kind of he and Ladanian Tomlinson were like the first two, like you wanted them on your fantasy team. Like when fantasy football started to become a big thing, those two were like the first two fantasy football superstars. Mm. And Priest Holmes doesn't have the longevity. The longevity is working against him. But if you look at Priest Holmes, as a matter of fact, I've done this before. Let me pull up Priest Holmes' numbers. If you look at him for like a three- or four-year stretch, it's one of the best three- or four-year stretches anybody's had in the history of pro football. Uh, Priest, yeah, 2001, 2002, and 2003. Uh, he was NFL Offensive Player of the Year, finishing the top five top five in MVP voting twice. Uh, two Twice was he uh, an all-pro. Actually, Three times. He, he was all pro three times. Uh, scrimmage yards. He went over 2,000 yards from scrimmage all three of those years. Led the league in scrimmage yards in 2002 with almost 2,300. He had 24 total touchdowns in 02, 27 in 03. Had over 1,500, over 1,600, then over 1,400 yards. And really had a knee injury, played in 04, played eight games, and then he had this great year, that great three-year run, and pretty much by 2006, it was over for Priest Holmes. So the longevity's not there. But if you take a look at that stretch, man, I'll put that. I'll put Priest Holmes' three-year stretch up against any other back in history up against their three-year stretch. Yeah, uh, CB said Eric Metcalf and Jamal were nominees to the 2024 Pro Football Hall of Fame. Um, what do you think about Longhorn Bears comments? Do you think Saban is actually retired, or how do you see that happening? Because for me, it's like I get what you're saying about the coaching bug, like, you know, coming back and maybe him wanting to come back to coaching. But I don't know. I feel like I, I just can't see it happening. Like, where is he going to go coach? It's not like they're just like, all right, DeBoer, or like. Did, did uh, you pull out Longhorn Bears question just to get me off of talking about Hall of Fame guys that you never saw play that were in their prime when you were in diapers? No, I, I was just I'm interested to hear your thoughts. I'm just busting chops. No, we can go back to Hall of Fame I, in a sec. We had we had a really in depth discussion about this on last week's episode of our Longhorn Blitz podcast, and I think there are some coaches who are their parade or pine box guys, right? They're they pretty much once they're done coaching, I, I don't think they know when to quit. Uh Bear Bryant was one of those guys. Joe Paterno, Bobby Bowden, I think Mac Brown at this point is one of those guys. They just don't know when to stop. Uh and they're willing to go out in a pine box not long after they're done coaching. Uh Nick Saban, I think, is one of those guys, is one of those rare guys. I think Nick Saban, Bob Stoops is one of, has been one of those guys. I think they go as long and as hard as they can until they just can't do it anymore. And I, I feel like Nick Saban wouldn't have made this. I don't think this was a knee-jerk decision. Nick Saban doesn't make knee-jerk decisions. I think this was one of those deals where he thought about it, and I, I kind of compare it to Bill Parcells. When Bill Parcells last coached in the NFL, he, I know he's an executive with the Dolphins but for a few years, but when he last coached was with the Cowboys, that, that run from 03 to 06. And they have the wild card loss in Seattle where Tony Romo bobbles the field goal snap. And immediately after the game, he's kind of, you know, revved up and getting ready to get after it. But then it was on the plane ride home where he starts thinking, all right, it's another offseason. That means another round of free agency. It's another draft. It's another mini camp. It's another training camp and another season just to get back to where you were. And it was on that flight home where he realized, I just physically just, can't do it anymore. And I think Nick Saban's at that point. I'm with you. I understand the coaching bug or whatever, but I, I think Nick Saban probably made a deal with himself that he's going to do this as long as he can and push himself as hard as he can. And if he can't be, if he can't be a hundred percent Nick Saban, then he doesn't want to be 80% Nick Saban. He's willing to walk away with his legacy intact and, go on to whatever's next and enjoy whatever time he's got left. Yeah, said it well. You want to go back to Hall of Famers or guys well, we think will be in? Well, but I want to get your thoughts on Sam. I mean, you're you're a young cat. You talk to recruits. And, and I mean, I had 
Did you hear any buzz, any kids that visited Alabama or that Alabama was in their top schools? Did you hear any buzz from recruits that they even got a, a sniff that this was coming? Um, I didn't. Um, not because I, I don't think a lot of recruits knew. Um, yeah. but uh, I forgot who it was. I think it was. I think Colin Simmons gave a quote or something where it was like, I already knew it was happening or, or something like that. But I, I, outside of that, I haven't. I haven't seen nothing and they didn't know it was happening like yeah. <laughs> um but now nah, I I don't see him coming back just cuz like dude he had like a lifetime contract with Alabama to make yeah. him the highest paid coach in college football at any time right so where is he going to come out of retirement to go coach <laughs> you know like I don't and also like if he does come out of retirement um to go coach I think it'll be very uh, Todd Dodge-esque, obviously, where he's only going to go to a situation that, you know, he can win. He knows he can win at, um, and he knows, you know, he won't have to do a ton of rebuilding at either. And, I mean, to be honest, there's no, there's not a ton of true rebuilding anymore with the portal and anything. Everything can be sped up. So, I don't know, maybe be more comfortable with the shittier situation. But, again, I doubt he's coming out of retirement. Um, and with, with him being on TV and – uh, with CB said, how is Corso still on TV? I don't know because uh, on air he doesn't look good, and I've never been to a game day, but uh, I've had a few buddies who have, and they said like in commercial breaks, like it's it's bad. Um, I think as long as as long as Kirk Herbstreit's still on game day, yeah, the Corso's gonna be on game day. That's just yeah. You know the the relationship those two have. It, that that's a special relationship. I mean, you can say what you want about Lee Corso, but I I admire the relationship he has with Kirk Herbstreit. But on the Saban thing, I think maybe what Colin Simmons was getting at, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, and Nick Saban himself even said it. You know, it used to be recruits would ask you how long you're going to be here, and he could joke back, "Well, are you going to be here for four years, or are you going to leave for the NFL after three? And now it got to the point where. At 72, he couldn't honestly tell kids, yeah, I'll be here your whole three or four years. Uh, he, and I, I, I think that that ate, that ate at him a little bit. So I, I understand the coaching, but like, I just think you have to, the transition, we talk about the transition for players when they're done. Like, what do you do next? How do you get that, you know, where's that juice come from? That, 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 that dopamine hit you get from being involved in it i think you just have to find a way that works for you whether that's tv whether that's you know radio whether that's just getting away from it completely maybe you're just done you're ready to just go play golf i mean i i thought that's where coach dodge was at this point but you know i think for him i think being closer to his grand i know we're going back and forth between nick saban and todd dodge but i think for coach dodge to be closer to his grandkids and to i mean let's be honest man if he's I don't know what he's making Jordan to be the head football coach in AD at Lovejoy, but uh, the Leopards are a single school ISD. I guarantee uh, they backed up the Brinks truck. If you want to look at Todd Dodge's uh, career, he doesn't really go anywhere unless it's uh, a single school ISD with with some money behind it and in yeah. some tradition, uh, you know, playing in the youth program, growing up, all that, all that type of stuff. And he's, so. and he's had reasons for going. You know, once he left, once he left Southlake. Went to North Texas and that didn't work out. So Marble Falls, I, he probably thought, "Hey, I'm just going to retire in Horseshoe Bay. This isn't a bad place to be." You know, the Westlake job opens, and it turns out, you know, his wife is a Westlake alum. So go back to Austin, where he spent his time in Texas. You know who his wife's dad is? Did you know that? Yeah, Neptune. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 So, I was like, that, that's pretty important. Yeah, their family connections to Westlake, and then I think, you know, again, just being close to the grandkids and. Uh, that loved if you can make six figures being closer to the family, why not? Right? Yeah. The thing is, it's still probably about an hour to drive from <laughs> from Lucas to South Lake, but um, yeah, you know they don't actually have to live there. He's driving about an hour ish each day to Westlake already. So yeah, exactly. That drive from Horseshoe Bay to Westlake Hills, it ain't uh, it ain't like you can take a golf cart to work. So. No, no. Um, yeah, I, so I, Longhorn Bear, to answer the question, I I don't think Nick Saban, I don't think he would have done this if he thought there was a possibility he could get that coaching bug, that itch again. And maybe he does, but I think for him, he's probably 
reconciled with himself. The TV is the best way to to get that rush on Saturdays. All right, yeah. Jordan. The the other Hall of Fame guy I wanted to ask you about, and because you're in agreement with me that Justin Tucker is a Hall of Famer. It's not a matter of if; it's just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. The guy that suddenly has a compli- a real complicated legacy is Earl Thomas, because if you look at Earl Thomas in his prime, uh, there's no doubt he's a Hall of Famer. But if you look at what Earl Thomas has gone through for about the last, I don't know, five, six years, um, it, 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 it's complicated all with the off-field stuff. But you look at him, he won a Super Bowl with the Legion of Boom. Five times he's been an all-pro, three of those first-team selections. Seven times Pro Bowl, seven times a Pro Bowl selection. Uh, member of the 2010s NFL All-Decade team. I, I, if you look at the numbers on the surface, and, and I, let me look at this, hold on. If you look at Earl Thomas on the All-Decade team, this is the 2010s All-Decade team. The Your defensive backs, Chris Harris, Tyron Matthew, Eric Berry, Eric Weddle, and Earl Thomas. Typically, if you're on an All-Decade team, we're on a scene, right? Like, you've got three members on that All-Decade team, Julius Peppers, Patrick Willis, and Darrell Revis that are already in the Hall of Fame. If you usually, if you're on the all-decade team, you end up in a Hall of Fame. I just wonder when it gets time for somebody, whoever is going to present Earl Thomas, whichever writer it's going to be, does the off-field stuff make him wait, or does that complicate his candidacy? I don't think it should, but let's be honest, he wouldn't be the first guy that had a complicated off-field legacy that was up for discussion for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, look, by the time he kind of started having off the field trouble, he, you could kind of make the argument he already had a Hall of Fame career by that point. No question. Um, so, you know, I guess we'll make that argument. But, you know, with Earl, like, for how many years was he the best safety in the league, in the best secondary in the league? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like that, that stands for something at the end of the day. And, at the end of the day, that needs to be remembered. Um, and, you know, you could make the argument he was uh, the best player in the best secondary in a whole decade of the NFL, right? So mm-hmm. that, that's that got to stand for something. Um, and he has a Super Bowl, right? Yeah. Like I don't at, – at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know what the criteria has to be if Earl Thomas isn't going to meet it. You know, I understand maybe the off-field stuff, but, like, if – he was the best safety for multiple years in the league in the best secondary. He has a Super Bowl. He went all pro, first team all pro, uh, pro bowl, like first round pick played however long before he lost his mind. Yeah. The, the way it, and even if you don't before the off field stuff, man, the way it ended in Baltimore with basically like the team leaders pretty much telling coaches and, front office like yeah we don't want this guy here yeah like dude that's one of the most stable organizations in pro sports is the ravens and when when you do something that makes everybody almost unanimously be like yeah we don't want you around that before you get to the off-field stuff that's gonna complicate his legacy i, I really wish it didn't and you know i, I think I, I don't even know if i told you this you, you uh, we might it might have been on the show you might have been listening but uh a couple years ago, Earl worked out at one of the pro days, kind of because there was going to be scouts there, and I, you know, he wanted to show what he had. And it was it was sad because you think about the kind of player Earl Thomas is one of my favorite Texas defensive backs. If I'm Rod Babers and I've had this conversation, if I'm doing a DBU Mount Rushmore, even though it was only two years on the field, Earl Thomas is on my DBU Mount Rushmore at Texas. But to watch him in that pro day, man, he was. Uh, to say he was a shell of what he once was was an understatement. I mean, he just looked like it looked like just the a guy just trying to that hasn't played in years trying to play like pickup flag football on the weekends. Like it's just the burst wasn't there, the dynamic athletic ability wasn't there, the hand, the ball skills, the hand eye coordination wasn't there. It it sucks that the last the last glimpse I got of Earl Thomas on a football field was that pro day. And it that sucks. Cause dude, Jordan, you you're old enough to remember Earl Thomas playing with Seattle. You're right. He was 
the best safety in the league for damn near the entire decade because he entered the league in 2010. You can say pretty much for the entire decade of the 2010s, he was the best safety in pro football. Yeah, or a large large majority of it for sure. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Um, I know he's living down in in Southeast Texas again, and that his house actually burnt down uh, last year um, or the year before. I think it was it was set on fire or burned down from a fire. I can't remember um, if it was something that caught on fire or if it was lightning that struck it. It was one of the two. But uh, he lost his house in uh, in Orange mm-hmm. about a year ago. Um, so hope if he's I, doing better. Yeah, but if I'm look if I'm looking at it, Earl Thomas and, and Brian Dawkins have a pretty a pretty similar resume. And Brian Dawkins played a little bit longer. Brian Dawkins was in the league from '96 to 2011, so Brian Dawkins played more years. But they both got the same number of all pro selections. Brian Dawkins has one more first team. Brian Dawkins has two more Pro Bowls. Uh, he was an all-decade team guy also. And uh, 10 more interceptions. But, I mean, you look at the Hall of Fame safeties. Earl, Earl Thomas should be in. The guy, you brought him up earlier. The guy that I want to mention, and look, I, I will, you know, carry the water for him to be in the Hall of Fame. I've yet to hear anybody other than the fact that he played on a team that was absolute garbage during his career. There's no reason Tommy Nobis should not be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. If you look at the all-decade team from the 1960s, he might be the only one at this point that's not in the Hall of Fame. I think he uh, he, he might be. Let me, let me double-check this because I want to make sure that I'm right. Mm-hmm. If I go to the 1960s. I'm really kind of surprised Jamal still hasn't made it in. Um, is he like does does he not still have the record for highest uh, yards per rush or average yards per carry or whatever? Let me. I'm trying to find it on his. I I believe he does. Hold on. I'm trying to. I'm trying to find it on this. Uh, wait. I'm looking at Earl Thomas. That's why I can't find it. Hold on, let me pull up Jamal's numbers. I know he had it for a while. It's him, Marion Motley, and Jim Brown. Dude, when you're breaking records, Jim Brown said, dude, you, yeah, you you should. And and CB CB brought it up earlier. I, I believe Jamal was a semifinalist this year for the Hall of Fame. Let me look at his records. Uh, let's see. Yards per rushing attempt, career. I'm looking at pro football reference. They've got him fifth right now. Well, that doesn't make any sense. That's included. Why is it quarterbacks included on here? If you look at running backs, he's right behind. He's he's second among running backs. If you take out the quarterbacks, mm-hmm. like Michael Vick, Michael Vick averaged seven yards a carry for his career. Jeez. Yeah, who was bringing his big ass down? <laughs> Vic wasn't that big. It's just, dude, I mean, he was, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit like Kyler, right? It, it, Michael Vick going to the NFL reminds me of Kyler going to college. When everybody's like, oh man, he's so small. He's going to get, he's going to get pounded, whatever. But then you watch Kyler, even at AM, it's like, dude, he was the fastest guy on the field in high school. And he's playing in the SEC and then the Big 12. And he's the fastest guy on the field in college. Nobody could catch him. And I remember, like, all, all the old heads, all the, all the olds, when Michael Vick was going in the league, like, oh, he's not, he's not a quarterback. He's not a drop-back guy. He's not going to be able to get by on his athleticism. Well, you, Michael Vick might have been the fastest guy in the league because I didn't see you guys do a very good job of catching him when he was on the field. Yeah, Kyler Murray just looks faster than he is because, like, he has to move his legs faster than other people, you know? <laughs> and, like, <laughs> I've always said, like, he looks like a baby who stole candy the way, like, he runs around and shit, you know? V-Y the way he holds the, the ball. VY had the opposite problem. Like, it didn't look like Vince was ever running that fast. But, dude, he's 6'5", and he's got long legs, so he's taking it's those long strides. But I never saw yeah. anybody catch Vincent Paul Young Jr. from behind. So, yeah, Jamal is behind Marion Motley, but he's ahead of Jim Brown. He's averaged more yards per carry in his career than Jim freaking Brown. So I just think... And how, how many more carries does he have than the number one guy? You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Um, like, that's important, you know, because not like Jamal wasn't getting however many per game, you know, um, for however many years in a row. Because the Chiefs didn't have jack shit most of that time. It was Alex Smith when the Chiefs couldn't complete a touchdown to a receiver. Y'all remember that? Yeah. Okay, I remember keep, those days. Keep this number in mind. 1,407 is how many carries Jamal Charles had in his career. Marion Motley, 828. Can you imagine getting tackled? I mean, he's running out of bounds probably 200 of those times. But let's say, like... Can you imagine whenever players get drafted and they're walking across the stage, like Goodell just reads them like their stats, their career in the future. And they're like, Jeff, you're going to get tackled by NFL players 1,200 times. Welcome to the league. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be like, shit, fuck this. Uh, <laughs> where do I sign? I'm about to retire. Man, I don't know. you want to talk about how people don't some people don't respect what running backs go through and and why this guy retired after 9 years. Dude, Jim Brown retired at 29. In 9 years, and keep in mind, Jim Brown's first 4 years in the league, they only played a 12 game regular season. Jim Brown had all damn near 2400 carries. How many games? <laughs> uh 118 games. And what was the total number of carries? I'm about to do the math. 2,359. And divided by how many? 118. 19.99 carries per game. So 20 times a game, 20. and dude, you're playing a 12-game regular season. And everybody knows Jim Brown is getting the rock, dude. That's, that is insane to me. Yeah, I just I never is. really looked at Jim Brown's numbers like that. But, but also, you got to think about it. Like, this is one thing that's funny to me is like everyone always talks about like tread on the tires for like yeah. running backs. It's like, well, he got a bunch of carries in college, or he's had a bunch of carries in the NFL. It's like, dog, you got to realize like if he's getting a bunch of carries in college or in the in in the NFL, that means he's been the best player where he's from since he grew up. So he's been getting <laughs> Jim Brown was getting 20 carries a game at five years old in in the in the street. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. and they didn't they didn't have pads or whatever back then. Like I, I know, I know he's uh I know think he's think about around. his workload in Pee-wee, the yeah. shit he was doing to well, kids at eight years old and all that. The guy I'm about to bring up, my all-time favorite football player, Emmett Smith. When's the last time you've seen Emmett Smith run around a Metroplex a time or two, haven't you? Um When's no, I, I, you haven't? The last time I saw him in person was whenever Jesuit and Lake Travis did a home-and-home non-district thing. And uh, his son, who I remember saw Lake Travis play twice, and I was like, this kid is not his dad. And then he yeah. went to Stanford and did nothing, and then A&M got him. Mm -hmm. um, I saw him then. Since then, I haven't seen him. But uh, I just want to – I'm going to pat myself on the back for calling uh, – for knowing ball on E.J. Smith's son. <laughs> or Emmett Smith's son, E.J. Smith. So, I don't know how Emmett was getting around at that point. I mean, it looks like he's getting around somewhat well. I haven't heard about him having health problems. You think about he set all he set a bunch of national rushing records in high school, played three years in the SEC at Florida, and with the Cowboys. And I'd like to forget those two years he spent with the Cardinals. Emmett Smith had forty four hundred carries. It's a league record. 4,400 carries. In how many games or seasons? Uh, what did Emmett play? Th uh, 13? Yeah, uh, 15. 13 with the Cowboys. That's why I said 13, because it was 13 with the Cowboys. And then he played two with the Cardinals. 4,400 freaking carries. The next the number two all-time in carries is Walter Payton at 38-38. That's a, dude, that is a monstrous difference between those two. How many games did did it say Emmett played in in his career? That's a 500 carry difference, by the way, between Emmett Smith and Walter Payton. I don't, you know, this might be boring to some people, but I'm, yeah. I, I don't really. How many times can these dudes get hit before their bodies give in? That's what that's what Jeff. What were you asking about Emmett Smith's games? Uh, regular, yeah. regular season games, 226. But you got to think, man. He went to an NFC Championship game, three Super Bowls. His postseason, where's the guy? It's got to have Emmitt Smith's playoffs here somewhere. Let me look at his. Yeah, Emmitt Smith's playoff numbers. He played 17 playoff games, so that's the equivalent of another season. Yeah, so 17 playoff. plus how many regular? 
226. Yeah, so uh, 243. And you said 4,400? Yeah. 4409. 4409 divided by 233. Shit. Wait, what was the number of games? Sorry. Uh, 226 regular season and 17 playoff. Yeah. 18 carries just over per year or per game over his career. Uh, how many teams did Earl Thomas play for? Who else was he on besides the flipping off the Seahawks and the Ravens? That was it. Just the yeah, he played nine years with the Seahawks and then uh, one with the Ravens. Man, Earl Thomas was done it. See, that's that's what's going to hurt him too when it comes time for the Hall of Fame. Not necessarily the ten year career. Earl Thomas was done. He was out of the league at thirty. Thirty years old, he was done. And Jim Brown was done at twenty nine. Yeah, but Jim Brown, Jim Brown's was a contract dispute. Jim Brown decided I'm gonna go to Hollywood and save my body because you guys are killing me right now. Earl's was like I said when when that organization was like we don't want you around. It's tough. So there, basically, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna stump for Longhorns to be in a Pro Football Hall of Fame from this point, there's gonna be Justin Tucker. Earl Thomas should be in the in the Hall of Fame. Tommy Nobis has got to be in there at some point. Like he's on the freaking sixties all decade team. It's not it's not his fault. He played for a garbage franchise with the Falcons. And I mean, Jordan's gonna stump for Jamal Charles, for Jamal Charles to be in there. I I I don't think you can go wrong. If 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 you're the Kansas City media member and you gotta promote one over the other, you gotta pick between Jamal Charles and Priest Holmes. I don't think you can go wrong. I'm just saying that three year run Priest Holmes had. Look at that. Terrell Davis is in the Hall of Fame, and I love Terrell Davis. Uh, Priest Holmes should get a really strong look to be in the Hall of Fame. Because, again, I'll put those three years. You give me Barry Sanders' best three years, Emmett's best three years, Adrian Peterson's best three years. I'll put them up against those three years of Priest, and I'll have a really damn strong argument. Man, it's funny because before uh, Mahomes and Kelsey really came on, the three greatest Kansas City Chiefs of all time, you could say, were Longhorns. You know, Jamal, Derek Johnson, and Priest Holmes. Yeah, you'd have to put uh, Derek Johnson is the leading tackler in Kansas City Chiefs history. You know, and owns it, like all the other defensive stats, and Jamal and Priest got all the rushing ones. Derek Johnson, DJ's career is really interesting. Uh, he was only one time All Pro. He was a four-time Pro Bowler. So I don't think – well, actually, he first won first-team All-Pro selection, uh, four Pro Bowls. He was second-team All-Pro in 2015. That was after he came off the Achilles injury. And, you know, the thing that – so the accolades are going to hurt Derrick Johnson. What I think helps him, though, is – and he just – man, he just missed. Like, he – his last year in Kansas City – was Patrick Mahomes' rookie year. So he just missed that window to to get us to to be, you know, to be in contention for a Super Bowl, which a Super Bowl would have helped him. He still played 13 years in Kansas City. I think there's no question he's one of the greatest Chiefs ever. I mean, we talk about Chiefs on defense. I mean, you know, uh probably Derek Thomas is certainly up there. You think about Emmett Thomas. There, there's some really good Chiefs de- defenders over the year. What's interesting about DJ though, Jordan, is like the first probably five, six years of his career, pretty nondescript. Like, he was just kind of there. But as the NFL became more of a spread league, became more of a space and pace league, it's almost, in other words, it's almost like some guys, as the game changes, their skill set causes their value to diminish. But as Derek Johnson's career went on, the game started changing to where it fit his skill set more than it did when he got in the league where it's more space and pace. He can run. He can cover. He can do so many things. And that's when he ended up playing his best his best football, man. It was really from 2011 to, to 2017, uh, you know, with the Chiefs. He was trying to look. Other, other than the 14th season where he had the Achilles injury, he was tackles. He was 131, 124, 107. He had, he had missed the year with the Achilles. And he came back off the Achilles injury. Had 116 tackles, two picks, uh, two forced fumbles, 
and uh, was a second team all pro pro bowl selection then he had 90 tackles 71 and then he was he was done after that very very brief stint with the raiders if Derek Johnson had a Super Bowl, I think there, I think he, his Hall of Fame candidacy would be really strong. I just don't think that he's just missing all those guys. Priest is missing it. Jamal's missing it. Derek Johnson's missing it. If any of those guys had a Super Bowl, that's what I think is helping, going to help Justin Tucker. Because yes, Justin Tucker is going to have, you know, you've got more analytics that can tell you how valuable a kicker is now. He's going to go down as the most accurate kicker in NFL history, but he helped the Ravens win a Super Bowl. And even the Ravens' shortcomings, it's not because, you know, he missed a big kick or anything. I mean, Justin Tucker, other than Adam Vinatieri, tell me a kicker that's been more clutch in the history of pro football than Justin Tucker. Seven Pro Bowls, five first-team All-Pro selections. Look, I got to – I'm not saying he's more clutch, but uh, Robbie Gold during his career in San Francisco, I couldn't tell you how many game-winning field goals he hit. He probably might have been like eight or nine. It felt like a lot. Um, probably wasn't even that much, but uh, that's the only thing I've seen that's similar to the, the, you know, the guy you have when, you know, like Ravens fans, dude, since they've drafted Justin Tucker, not once have they went to kick a field goal and they're like, oh shit, you know, (laughs) like, oh, it's 50 yards. Fuck. You know, are we going to hit it? It's like, yeah, we are. We got the greatest of all time back there. Same yeah. friend. That was kind of the same thing with Robbie Gold, dude. I, I was never worried about Robbie Gold. Um, and also with Phil Dawson, dude. Phil Dawson at the end of his career was effing awesome for San Fran. Yeah, it was man. awesome. That was my first few years of being a being a 49ers fan. And, and it was funny. Later on, uh, like in middle school, I think it was, um, me and my twin brother ran into uh, Phil Dawson and, and his seven-on-seven team. Because he had a son, I think, that was our age that he was trying to yeah. coach up at Hyde Park or whatever. Um, whoop that ass, Lake Travis style. <laughs> That's the thing, man. Lake Travis and seven on seven is like one of the hardest, one of the hardest uh, teams to beat. Yeah. Programs to beat. So, um, Phil Dawson still the head coach at Hyde Park. I couldn't tell you. I it, it's kind of bad, but I try to avoid private schools as much as I can. So. <laughs> Come on, Jordan, you got no love for Regents? Man, it's just like the type of prospects that private schools produce, I don't usually gel or not gel with. Like, not, I get along with them, but like, uh, you know, I prefer the public school players more in terms of, you know, scouting perspective, getting to watch them. And like, you know, like, dude, it's fun, you know, getting to see, uh, like, it was awesome getting to see Garrett Wilson just like play with his food versus Layman, right? But, like, I, you know, it's only so much fun when it's, like, a Garrett Wilson versus, uh, I don't know, Grace Prep Academy, you know, or something like that, yeah. right? Where it's like, okay, they actually do not have a chance. Like, yeah. the, the dudes at Layman, like, they can maybe get, like, a PBU every few passes. These private yeah. school kids, no. My my wife works at a private school, and uh, they, they play six-man now because of enrollment yeah. numbers. But when they were playing 11 man, one of their last years in 11 man, they were in a district with San Antonio Christian, which were David Robinson's kids went to school. So Corey, Rob- Corey Robinson was, I mean, he signed with Notre Dame. He's a you know, power five type player. And I'm watching like, I just watched this kid over here, like, you know, stumble over his books down the hallway. And now he's having to cover a division one receiver. Like, yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, so it was, it, it kind of, it was a, it was a mess. It was a mess. They, they play six man now and it's, it's more competitive. How many six man games have you watched, by the way? Um, do you like, do you try to make it to two. state for that first yeah, day to watch two. the six man? Yeah. So, uh, in 2022, I, I made both of them in the, the media doesn't really go to the six man ones, at least like the recruiting media. Yeah. If they do, it's literally just us in the press box and like, AT&T Stadium is our office for the day. Yeah. Because usually that two-way game wouldn't have shit either. But this year, it had Terry Bussey. Um, so it was uh, the first The first day of state is usually a straight dud, usually the second day too. But the first day was awesome because we got an all-time Terry Bussey performance and he got to go out with the state ring, which is – I mean, I'll say it. I don't care. Everyone at 24-7 is a Terry Bussey fan. Uh, type of kid he is, type of player he is. So but let's we're, be real. We're all happy he can win. Hudson Standish is driving that bandwagon, though. He is. He is. He is. 
<laughs> he is. But you know, I'm I'm happily in the bandwagon. Um, oh, I, dude. Like, yeah. But no, I, this year I missed both the six-man games because I was coming from Connolly because Kobe Black finally committed to Texas. Oh, yeah, day. that was that day. Yeah. And so I was driving. I drove straight from Connolly to AT&T Stadium. And, like, whenever I walked onto the field, Timpson had already gone up, like, 14-0, 10-0, something like that, and Terry already scored twice. Those, those six-man games, man, they it's – even if the, like, the level of the quality of athlete isn't great, you know, you're like you're not watching future college football players, dude. It's six man football is fun as hell. It's just like to me, it's so it kind of reminds me of when the Austin Wranglers were a thing, and I covered arena football for a couple of years. Man, it it's just so kind of wheels off that you're like, dude, this is this is actually kind of fun. Like I've talked to you know one of the I talked to one guy who's coached it, and uh he actually works with my wife. He doesn't coach anymore, but he coached 11 man for years and then coached six man before he retired from coaching. And he said, you know, basically he's like, he was a defensive coordinator. He's like, you know, you've got all your fronts and coverages and everything when you're playing 11. man. It's like, basically when you play six man, you've got like two coverages. You can run like an umbrella coverage, or like an underneath zone. And that's pretty much it. Like you got, it just depending on what personnel the other team has. And you just got to kind of hope and pray that you guys, make tackles in space. So it, I would encourage you, Jordan, like I, I know it's not, I know you got important business to take care of, but next year for state, this coming year for state, try to get there if you can on that first day and, and watch at least one of the six man games. Well, man, I saw both of them in 2022. I just missed this year's cause Kobe black wanted to commit the same day. So, so what'd you, I, uh, okay. So what'd you think watching six men? Oh, I had no idea what the hell was going on, but I was having fun watching. Dude, I didn't see so, them, man. I didn't either. Yeah. I was like, the what? I was like, I was like, damn, he's not out of bounds. No, damn. Wait, there's media on the field. Oh, shit, that's in bounds. And like, that, there was like, that type of. That was how it went. <laughs> you know, my wife's school was. They were playing for a district championship, and they get the, they're driving the ball, and then they have an option at the end of the game, like, okay, you can move it to this spot and kick a field goal. Like, I'm like. Why are you moving? Like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I didn't. And then the yeah. whole, like, it's backwards because in six, man, if you run a play, it's one point. But if you kick the extra point, it's two. And, like, it was just, it was a mind F for me a little bit. But, man, it was, I, I've had fun those games I've been to, man. It's it's a trip. It's a trip. It's fun, too. Like, I love six, man, in 1A sports, too. Because, yeah. like, when there's like a kid who he doesn't even have to be like FCS talent. Like if there's a kid who's like D2 talent, it's like yeah. he's like God. <laughs> it's like he's like God, right? Man. So right now there's this kid. I think he's at Benjamin, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I'm blanking on his fucking name. Grayson Rigdon. Grayson Rigdon is his name. He scored 72 in basketball like two nights ago. I saw it on Twitter. It was awesome. Um, but he also has like three state rings or something like that already. And like, uh, his dad is a head coach and a six man team, um, hired his dad to be a head coach from another school. And since he's like, has been the best player in six man since like his freshman year, the UIL suspended him originally <laughs> for his first year after he moved with his dad to his dad's new job. Really? Cause like, yeah, cause everyone in six man was trying to get the world to investigate. Cause they were saying that school only hired him. Cause his son is like God in one a. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Man, six, six man football gets wild. Cause one, yeah. like all, all the schools are like light years apart from each other. Um, so <laughs> like they're all Twitter beefing. Um, and two, like, it just takes one kid in like a school will win state for four years because of one kid. Yeah. It's going to bless the town of like 50 people. Or like that, that's like, uh, you know, like when Bre it, it, it's the same thing for the small school. Like when Bremont had Rashad Paul, you know, but it was beating Bremont. Like just, I remember I've, I've, I'm old enough to remember like Marlon had daring Gallette, And yeah. since he left, they haven't gone back to the playoffs. And they weren't in the playoffs before he <laughs> it was a freshman there. Yeah. <laughs> they hadn't made it for like six years. And then they, they went and hit the they hit the portal and they got Jare Bledsoe too. Like I remember, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Claude Mathis was a high school player at Bartlett back in the day. Claude ended up going to what's now Texas State. It was Southwest Texas back then. But Bartlett also had a dude named Plez Atkins who played at Iowa 
Like, dude, little old Bar- Bartlett had two freaking div- like Division One caliber athletes on their team. Like, that's not fair. Like, they just steamrolled everybody. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's 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 cool when you see like he's at A and M now. He's an assistant at A and M now and played at A and M. But Jordan Peterson, like back when Jordan Peterson was in high school, he went to Lexington and like so they were in the same district oh. as Lawrence. So, Bro, like, Jared Curve was a monster at Lexington. Yeah. Um, I uh, so my brother went to Florence. And so I would watch Jordan Peterson's games and I'm like, dude, this is just like, it's almost like when you're watching a high school football game, right? Or like a pop Warner game and you just got the, the big kid and you just throw him like a toss every play. And he just either runs by everybody or over everybody. And that's what it's like watching a division one athlete at the lower level, like a legit power five type guy at the lower levels. It's just not, it's not fair. Yeah. And like, it, that that's fun when it's like a dude amongst boys, but like when you can get a dude amongst dudes, like when you got a shit, I don't know, like someone's going in at Under Armour, and it's yeah. like holy shit, like these are all future NFL players and all the best of the best, and this dude is clearly the best guy here. You know, what yeah. I mean? like that type of stuff is special as well. But um, yeah, no, I, I love the getting to cover the small school games because like I know I'm gonna get highlights no matter yeah. what. Right. right. And I know I'm going to line it up where the team I need to win is going to win. Um, and I'll feel confident about it the whole way through. But it's like when uh, that's what I like about what you just said, though, that's what I like about going to the All-American Bowl. And that's the only reason that I kind of miss going because I used to go for the full week and I'd be pissed off before and I'd be dead tired after. But during the week, like, you know, you're watching some special guys and like you watch like Derrick Henry and, and Trevor Lawrence and you're like, oh, that. That's different. I ain't seen nothing like that before. And like you know, be like, yeah, I got I saw you know Christian McCaffrey back in the day when he was at the Army Bowl, and like he wasn't Christian McCaffrey. I don't remember him being. He was a highly rated guy because he was an All American, but I don't remember him uh, being like a like a five star guy. He might have been, but I, he was like a top one hundred ish type guy. Mm-hmm. But I all I remember coming away from watching him practice was I'm like, dude, like I don't know what y'all are seeing, but like. Ed McCaffrey's kid is the best kid out here. Like he's he's caught everything they've thrown into him. He's making dudes miss in space. Like he's just he's a freaking baller. And yeah, Christian McCaffrey's gonna be doing it on Sunday in the Super Bowl for your San Francisco 49ers, coached by Kyle Shanahan. I really think, Jordan, Kyle Shanahan, if te- if if the 49ers win the Super Bowl on Sunday, lifetime longhorn Kyle Shanahan should be in the Hall of Fame because he will have turned pump fake Purdy into a Super Bowl winning franchise quarterback. Because the Brock Purdy I saw at the end of his career at Iowa State didn't look like he belonged on an NFL roster. And Kyle Shanahan might be getting ready to win a Super Bowl with pump fake Purdy as his quarterback. Yep. Yep, man. I mean, look, uh, even 49ers players get mad and he gets called a game manager. I'm a 49ers fan. He's a game manager. Um, it's what he is. I remember, like, I remember uh, he always got um, he always got buzz to be, like, a draftable guy at Iowa State. Yeah. And Texas would play Iowa State. And I'd be like, I don't know about this Brock Purdy guy. And, you know, it's like the team I root for drafts him. It's yeah. the last pick in the draft, though. So it's like, uh, you know, who gives a shit if he doesn't work out at that point? Right. And you kind of just forget about him. Um, and then, you know, porn star Jimmy goes down, gets hurt. Trey Lance gets hurt. And he comes in. And he's plays better than I ever saw him play versus Texas. Um, yeah. And, you know, I was like, shit, okay, let's rock. And that's how it went. But, man, Brock, Brock Purdy, like, I kind of hate that the team is built the way it is, but that's why it's success- successful. You know, you have a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract. Um, and also, like, it's the this um, management group or front office in, in San Fran right now is really good at drafting, but they're horrible at drafting quarterbacks, or at least <laughs> quarterbacks high. Um and so, you know, if you're never – if you don't feel good enough in your drafting skills and also you kind of have to suck to get a true franchise quarterback through the draft, like the best thing to do is just to get a cheap-ass game manager and, you know, break the bank on some aliens at skill position everywhere else. Um, and that's kind of what they've done, I guess. But 
I don't know, man. I, I'm nervous. Um, and I, again, I've already we've talked about it. I've already accepted defeat in my head, so it makes it easier. Um, but uh, yeah, and he had Brees Hall running that. That That is important to remember. Mm-hmm. That man, uh, Brees Hall at Iowa State convinced everyone that Matt Campbell was a good coach or <laughs> it was a better coach than he was um, along I- with Brock Purdy. And it's the same thing as like, Mel Tucker just I remember seeing this tweet and it's like forever etched into my brain to the end of time. But it's a uh, Mel Tucker like really just smoked cigars and handed the ball off 20 times a game to a uh, guy Kenneth what's it Kenneth Walker. And yeah. Michigan State was like you want a 10 year extension? <laughs> like what? Dude. Um um and Mel Tucker time. funny story. I I'm not going to name any names, but Oh, story time. I like I like these. Yeah, th- this is how we'll finish the Friday show. And this this is a good story for, for Coach 420 because it involves uh, the last three digits in his name. But Michigan State. Um, sometime during the Mel Tucker era, uh, he gets a kid from the uh, southern United States to come up on an, uh, an unofficial visit. When he does... Um, the kid, you know, gets a, a nice room. You know, kids usually get rooms to themselves. Uh, parents as well. You know, y'all know what happens. Um, the dad was the only parent who made the trip up. Uh, the only person who accompanied uh, the recruit on the visit. And um, the dad has a super nice hotel room as well. Kind of penthouse, top level, whatever, huge room. Yeah. And he texts a buddy I'm with, hey, You'll never believe what they have in this hotel room. <laughs> the guy shows me it, shows me the kid's dad's contact name, and is like, I don't know. The dude's like, what is it? He FaceTimes him right there. He turns the camera. It's like an entry greeting table to, like, the lobby of, like, the hotel. Yeah. Literally probably, like, four zips of weed, four ounces of weed right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is under Mel Tucker at Michigan State. Uh, and, and Jeff, I'll tell you who it is once we get off air. Uh, okay. Because it makes the story funnier. And I have more and, stories with that family. You know, but, we, we did, we did, a, we recorded the Longhorn Blitz yesterday. And uh, we we're going down because I, I got on this story. I told the story there that we told yesterday where I don't remember if it was Mike. It might have been somebody else that was there that told Mike. I, but I don't remember. But the story about Bill O'Brien being at Newman to watch Arch yeah. Manning and looked like he would have just rather been anywhere else. And we got on this tangent about like, and dude, the dudes from the Belichick coaching tree, like they're just like abject disasters as head coaches, right? They just they're just dumpster fires. And I'm like, you know, you look at the guys like that that are off the Urban Meyer tree, and Urban's tree is kind of fragmented because he's never in one place long enough to really have a tree. But it's like. DJ Durkin, Steve Adazio, Tim Beckman, Tom Herman, Dan Mullen. Like when those guys get fired or leave jobs, there's not a lot of nice things that are said about yeah, them no. after the fact, right? And I'm like, those trees, I don't like, man, the Saban tree, like Saban's assistants tend to get it, right? You know, say what you want about Jimbo. He's won a national championship. Kirby's won a couple. Sark has Texas on the right track. But then like I praise the Saban tree and then like, I hear another Mel Tucker story or or whatever this is like, dude. It just shows you, man, there are exceptions to every rule out there. Yeah. You know, and it's funny because, like, they were literally just visiting up there to go get a bag. (laughs) And that was it. Like, they were never considering Michigan State. Um, So. Yeah, CB, I, I didn't uh I didn't ask Rod about his Super Bowl plans. I guess if he's said he's going, he should. I would imagine the the wood is out in full force in Vegas. It'd be Rod B and Bo Scafe. Maybe Chris Sims, I'm sure, will be out there. Uh, BJ Johnson, I forget who all was in the wood. I think it was Montreal Flowers in the wood, I forget. But um yeah, it's uh that's good, man. It's just good. It's good that we're talking good things about Texas football, regardless of whether we're talking about the college football season, the Hall of Fame, the Super Bowl, the draft. Times are good, Jordan. I'm I'm enjoying this, man. It beats the hell out of looking at mock drafts in February and being in, in prospect lists. And it's like, dude, is Texas going to have anybody drafted this year? Like that 20, like the 22 draft, I'm like, dude, unless somebody just decides that they really need to have Cameron Dicker on their roster, you knew nobody was getting drafted, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely beats the days of the five core values. Oh man, like what? What do you think was worse? Looking back, I know they were just so, so, so different and had their different flavors and different personalities. But did you want to put a gun to your head more during the Charlie Strong era or the Tom Herman era? If I, which if I was can, which was worse? Do you if think? I can be a hundred percent honest. Charlie was just so disorganized, man. Like, I, he, I felt like he had the right idea of what he wanted to do, but the execution of his plan was just so botched, so choppy, and you know the quarterback situation. Like he, he just never, he never really gave himself a chance. And you know the first year, whether it was finding a quarterback or rebuilding the roster, whatever it was. It almost felt like he just thought he had all the time in the world to get it done, and he didn't. And I, I said this, man, you know, after I wrote a story, uh, it came out in December of 15, after being down at the state championships and talking to some pretty influential high school football coaches about their relationship with Texas, and it's like it's never been worse, like we can't go down there, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I – I had people call it a hit piece. People come, people call me a racist, whatever. But Charlie and I ended up chopping it up that spring. And, you know, he wasn't mad at me. And we talked about it. And, and I was like, I came away from that thinking, I'm like, you know, if if the general public got to see the Charlie Strong I just talked to, like this fan base would feel completely different about him in a good way. Um, so I, I wanted Charlie to win, but it's just I think Trey can agree with me from BK can agree with me from some of the things there. Just again, Charlie's plan to to execute what he wanted to do at Texas was just, it was, uh, Jason has the perfect word, so discombobulated that it never really had a chance to get off the ground. Uh, the discombobulated Charlie Strong at press conferences was, Charlie was a, a great guy, a great man, but just, man, when it came to everything else, just so disorganized. Can't be a head coach who specializes in, one side of the ball and have that side of the ball be the biggest weakness for your team year after year. That just yeah. doesn't work. Yeah. That's one side of the ball that always needs to be buttoned up. It's about figuring out the pieces of the other side based on coordinators and assistants and just how you're recruiting that side of the ball. But like Vance Bedford was a part of the problem too. I hated that because I love Vance Bedford as yeah. a player back in the day. And he'd done some good things as a coordinator, too. I don't even know what Vance Bedford's up to these days other than commenting on Texas football on Twitter. But I hated to see those guys fail on that side of the ball. And then obviously, or I don't know if it's obvious. Did Charlie end up taking things over on his own in that final season? Yeah. For the wristbands? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. The wristbands. That's right. Yeah. Um, with Tom Herman, Jordan, like I, I have a lot of just disappointment from the Tom Herman era because I, I knew a lot of people, quite a few people that had played for Tom at various spots. And they're like, dude, I'm telling you, man, this guy, he's got the plan. Like he, he's going to win at Texas and he's going to win big. And to have some of those same people come back a few years later and tell me, Hey, the Tom Herman that I knew in such and such year at such and such place, that's not the same Tom Herman that's at Texas right now. He's a totally different guy. And that job changed him in pretty much the worst possible ways a, co a, a job could change a coach, could change a guy. And I don't know if – it's like Tom never figured out, like, who he – he kept – he wanted to be Mac Brown, like the folksy kind of down-home guy, yet he wanted to have, like, that Urban Meyer red ass to him. But he, it's like he never – I never knew who the real Tom Herman was. I still don't know who the real Tom Herman is. That started at Houston, too, by the way. If you really go back and watch how he was conducting himself and kissing guys. At the end, of, at the end especially. Right, the cameras and getting yeah. the grill and just some of the other bullshit. There's some, there's some also, there's some behind the scenes stuff that I, yeah, we won't talk about today that were like big red flags that the people who hired Tom Herman at Texas knew about. And they just chose to overlook those things because it became yeah. this bidding war between Texas and LSU. And they didn't want to lose that pissing contest to a guy who was an alumni and was seen as the possible next Nick Saban. 
Yeah. Love when that, uh, that, that tag gets thrown out there, talking about Saban or any other GOAT. And sadly, that turned out not to be the case. He was a good football coach. It's just there was too much other bullshit that was a distraction on him constantly trying to almost going out of his way to find ways to shit on any goodwill that he would build up. Like within a week or two of building goodwill, yeah. he would find ways to ruin that. Yeah. It's the the red flag that uh, that I didn't see that I should have paid more attention to was the John Lopez, Nick Wright interview, the little calling that he had. Mm. That should have been more of a red flag for me. Um, and then there's just little things that you look at in hindsight, like after he put the staff together, his press conference, where he was saying that he was reading what we were writing as he was hiring an offensive coordinator. And it's like, dude, what do you care what we think about Tim Beck? Hire the best guy for the job. Like we're in, and it's not like any of us were stating, you know, outlandish opinions. It's like you just hired the guy that Urban Meyer was, and and I like Tim Beck personally. But where it's like you just hired the guy that Urban Meyer was looking for a soft landing for. That's who you hired as your OC, and it's just little things like we would ask, you know, we would ask about like quarterback snaps during camp when he had a, an availability. And he would be like, wow, is, is is who takes the first snap in practice really a big deal to you guys? We're like, yeah, Tom, it's the starting quarterback at Texas. It's a big freaking deal. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, so his, arrogance just, in, his arrogance in press conferences was impressive slash maddening. Yeah. Oh, dude, I had, I had a few people that did not like Tom at U of H tell me after he got the job. They're like, trust me, his hubris will be his downfall. Yeah. <laughs> It's hard to disagree with that at this point, you know? So I, Jordan, let's answer your question. I like Charlie Strong as a guy. He was too disorganized to make it work. And I'm just, it's not bitterness or anything like that. It's just disappointment from the way Tom Herman's tenure went. Cause it could have been, and should have been a lot more productive than it was. Yeah. Um, no, those interesting points you made. And and Jason said I'd run through a brick wall for Charlie, but if Tom asked me to do side so, question, why am I doing this so, Mr. Coach? Man, it's a good point. Like my uh, my dad brought it up a lot, but you know, with Charlie Strong, I don't know in my lifetime if I've ever seen Texas football players played that hard for their head coach than they did with Charlie Strong at times. And, and not in terms of actually winning. Come on. But they I didn't know, play bro. hard they, enough to beat a shitty Charlie. Kansas team in 2016. If they loved him, they would have won that freaking game, dude. Mm-hmm. They knew hey, man. Hey, it happened for a reason. Hey, it ended up it ended up working out. We think it, it worked out yeah. a few years later now. But, but I'll say that Trey, you brought up something interesting, and I'll 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 leave you guys to, to do your Friday show with this. When you think about how bad the defense was under Charlie, especially in 16, how bad that defense was, what I felt like he should have done, and he, he he never really committed to it, he should have taken stock of how bad that defense was going to be in 2015 and just said, you know what, if I'm going to be bad, I'm going to be bad with young guys that are really talented and just taking like Malik Jefferson and Amenahu and Holton Hill and Deshaun Elliott. I think Deshaun might have been hurt that year too. Chris Boyd taking all those guys and just said, you guys are playing. You guys are starting, you're playing, and I don't care how bad we are, but at some point, you guys are going to be a really good defense because you're playing together and growing together. And I'm going to I'm gonna stake my job, my reputation on this 2015 recruiting class. And look how many of those guys are still in the NFL. Brandon Jones, yeah. Yeah. Like Brandon Jones, Brandon Jones, I think, had one start. If I remember right, he had one start. They gave up a touchdown at Oklahoma State early. That was the game where they had three extra points blocked. And I didn't see Brandon Jones on the field after that. And it's like, how do you know if a guy is any good if you're yanking him out of the game after one series? That's a tough one. Like, he's a true freshman making his first start on the road. I totally forgot about the three block PATs game. Jeff, you just unlock some memories I forget I have. Like, I don't know why, but that made me think of the UCLA coin toss where they fucked up the coin toss versus UCLA and Jerry World. Like, I don't know why I thought about that. From 2010 through 2021, there's so much that you repress. <laughs> and then when you think about it, you're like, oh, my God, that they actually did that? Like, yeah, that actually happened. Mm. Uh, thankfully, so, better days. Better days so, now, boys. I was just telling, I was just telling Jordan, man, like, thank goodness, like, 
I don't have to wonder, man, is Texas going to have anybody drafted? And now it's like whether you're talking about the draft, the Pro Football Hall of Fame, the Super Bowl, coming off of a CFP appearance, like it's good stuff that's happening relating to Texas football right now. Yeah. Hopefully that continues for a long time. You don't have to be embarrassed about your alma mater, BK. Yep. Yeah, I was for a while. So, you know, now now we'll save that for other sports, I guess. It doesn't just have to be Kansas basketball season right now. Uh, I, I hope you're right. Ask me that on Monday if it is only Kansas basketball season right now because tomorrow's Texas basketball game will go a long way into – telling us that all right i'll let you guys uh, i'll let you guys discuss that see everybody on monday great stuff guys have a great weekend